The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, in this special late edition, we talk about a Victorian stepped out of a North London derby with holding Kane and Son for a big beating, a marvel at De Bruyne's Nigel Pearce and his performance against Wolves and City's ludicrous goal difference, salute the Hall and Globetrotter, ask is that it for the title, talk Leeds, did he mean David Gandhi, and look ahead to the FA Cup final. All that and more coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well then, Friday the 13th of May, listener, and creeping in, shoes in hand, is this particularly late edition of the Totally Football Show. Will it be worth the wait? Well, it features Duncan Alexander, Tom Williams and Natalie Jedra, so uh, you be the judge. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, James. Pressure's Mm. on now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Duncan knows all about pressure. Don't you, Duncan, with Wickham? Mm. On the playoff trail, you've reached your second League One playoff final in the last three years. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Yeah. Excellent. Tom. Next Saturday. Yep. Yeah, uh, OK, that's with Sunderland, who've never been promoted via the playoffs from any division in their six previous attempts, whereas the chair boys have a pretty sensational record in the playoffs. Yeah, well, better than Sunderland. Uh, and Sunderland also wear red and white stripes, which is traditionally a curse in the playoffs. No one knows why. Um, but so, yeah, some some things are set up for Wickham and then other things such as, you know, form and that maybe are more in Sunderland's favour. But we'll see. We'll see. No one knows why red and white stripes are a curse in the playoffs. What does, uh, what does chair boys mean again? I always forget this. It's one of the more peculiar football league nicknames. Um, Wickham was the home of furniture making back in the day. Still a few factories left. Um, so a bit like, literally the chair boys. Well, it was a a sort of late 19th century nickname that that kind of got lost and was, uh, re rediscovered in the 1980s. So yeah, it's, it's unusual, but it's, you know, it's good to like, you know, the Hatters or whatever. It's good to uh, honor the history of a town. Hmm. All right. Well, it's been a big week for the chair boys. Big week for Gandhi quote-based banter. Bad week for breaking wind in French dressing rooms. We'll maybe hear from Tom about that a little bit later on. Uh, but also a big week for midweek football fixtures. And, of course, the reason we're recording this Friday is the North London derby. So here goes. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. He's well aware of the magnitude of this penalty. It is Harry Kane against Arsenal. <laughs> Listen to the sound of Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Harry Kane converts. Spurs TV there on a momentous night for the Hotspur. Thursday, a 3-0 victory over Arsenal. Natalie, you were there. First off, first ever North London derby in front of a full house at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What was the atmosphere like? Yeah, we always knew it would be a, an emotional game because I, I always say that the North London Derby is, is always, it, it never disappoints in terms of atmosphere. So the emotions always run high uh, on the pitch and, and in the stands as well. And I think this season specifically, we could only compare the atmosphere, at least the first minutes of it with the Merseyside Derby because that was that was outstanding. But I say at least in the, in the first minutes because after Kane's penalty, Arsenal fell apart in, in different ways, but uh, then we, we could only hear 
very confident Spurs fans, but it was an electric atmosphere as usual. It never disappoints in terms of atmosphere. I really like being in the in the North London Derby because of that. Oh, cool. Well, it was a huge occasion, this one, head-to-head with potentially fourth place in Champions League football on the line. Spurs taking their biggest ever Premier League win against Arsenal and the biggest league win since April 83. Harry Kane moving his tally of North London Derby goals to 13. A performance of poise and clear thinking against a team who completely imploded, says Charlie Eccleshare, who knows a thing or two about completely imploding. <laughs> uh, Tom and and, uh, and uh, Duncan, uh, let's hear your truths. Yeah, I thought Arsenal played this game very strangely from the start. I mean, they, a draw was a really good result for Arsenal. Pretty much would have pretty much guaranteed the Champions League. You know, they'd have needed a win from their last two games, essentially. And they've got a home game against Everton on the last day. So they were kind of rushing around at the start. They were pressing quite high. They were taking throw-ins quickly. I thought, hang on, just slow, slow it down. And then, and then Rob Holding just decided mm. to to buy into the Derby hype way too much, which is never good for footballers. And a bit like Natalie was saying, I think of all the Premier League big derbies, this is the one where players seem to get het up and caught up. Um, the Merseyside Derby, that was like that um, sort of 10, 15 years ago. And, and obviously this season, a recent one, Everton did definitely press the aggro Derby button. But but yeah, it was just, it was a bizarre performance from holding. You know, four fouls in 33 minutes is the most he's ever conceded in a Premier League game. So he mm. was, um, you know, there was a lot of furore about whether he should have, you know, got two bookings. But I think two bookings were definitely, uh, definitely uh, deserved. For all of that, was the real culprit, Cedric, giving away that penalty? I mean, he was he was one culprit among many. Um, I think Rob Holding clearly set the tone. And it was so blatant, the targeting of, of, of Son, that it, it seemed to me like a, a deliberate ploy. Because we know that Son's got a short fuse and it is one of the sort of contradictions. He's, he's kind of heralded as this lovely guy and he obviously is a lovely guy, but every now and again... He blows a fuse and he lashes out, and, and Arsenal obviously thought they could, you know, they they could target him um, as a consequence, but but it didn't work. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the penalty was soft. I think it was a penalty. One of the things that strikes me watching games like that, and I commented on this on on, on Twitter last night, is how wildly different the the views mm. of decisions like that are depending on where your allegiances lie. Mm. You know, there are Arsenal fans who thought it was an absolute scandal. <laughs> Um, and there was the Spurs fans who thought it well. was a yeah, and there were Spurs fans who thought it was a, a cast iron penalty. And as ever with these sorts of things, it was a slightly soft penalty that probably was a penalty. Um, if you want to avoid giving penalties away, try heading the ball clear rather than you know bundling your opponents over from behind. Um, and yeah, that sort of played into as Duncan was saying that the slightly the slightly sort of nervy start to the game that, that Arsenal made that that ended up ended up being their downfall really the thing with that penalty is if if someone had done that in centre circle would anyone have no bothered if if a, a free kick had been given not really because it was a shove it's yeah it is rare I guess to get given a penalty for that but it was a foul but I think as Tom was saying <laughs> I had to put this bit like these two clubs they do have a very very kind of het up online fan bases and and so Arsenal fans are kind of convinced that they are treated more harshly than other teams by referees. And 
I don't think that's true. I mean, it would be a, an insane conspiracy if that was the actual truth, if it was deliberate. But some of the numbers do back that up. So since Arteta took over at Arsenal, everyone knows pretty much that they've had 13 red cards, which is more than anyone else. But if you look at the fouls as well, Liverpool conceded 13 fouls fewer than Arsenal since Arteta took over. But Arsenal have 12 more red cards, which uh, is not don't the sort of ratio. Don't fuel it. Don't fuel it. <laughs> Duncan, there's, there's fouls and there's fouls. And please don't say any more, otherwise they'll ban you for six months. <laughs> so from an international perspective, we were discussing in Brazil that the penalty was not a, air quotes, Premier League penalty. It's not mm. the type of penalty you usually give in the Premier League. So it, it's not that it wasn't a penalty in Brazil. It would absolutely be a penalty. But we were a bit surprised with the penalty. So uh, there, there's margin for interpretation. And, and after the penalty, Arteta kept um, doing the gesture of, you have to use your head. You have to use your head. Like, keep calm. And, and Arsenal didn't manage to really go back to the game. And, of course, we... we have to praise the initiative that they are a very young team, the youngest team in the Premier League, and you have ups and downs. And in matches like that, you have that drive that a young team uh, shows. But also, you can struggle a little with uh, coming back from situations like that, with that atmosphere. A lot of Arsenal fans left before the, the final whistle. Actually, in terms of logistics, you, you can also kind of understand that because... Yes, it was a late kickoff, it's midweek, and the atmosphere around the stadium before the match was already very edgy, to say mm. the least. So so many of them really did choose to, to, to leave early, but it was something that, that caught the attention. But in terms of, of keeping the nerves, I think uh, from the first minute, Spurs uh, did better because they had the intensity, they were, uh, if, if you may say, controlling the falls. Uh, they, they weren't risking as much as Arsenal, in my in my view. And then they got the penalty, and then they they controlled the narrative of the game. Mm, they got the penalty, then Rob holding it sent off. Uh, then Kane with the diving header, which is pretty remarkable header that was. Uh, before Son at the start of the second half made it three nil. He's now on twenty one Premier League goals, just one by Mo Salah. In the race for the golden boot with matches against Burnley and Norwich to come. Hmm, Tom. Yeah, just on Arsenal. I mean, if you go back to last summer uh, and their recruitment, they spent a fair amount in the the transfer window, but they, they bought a very similar profile of player, not proven elite level players, sort of 23, 24 and under. Um, and it was a bit of a risk to recruit in that way particularly when in the squad as it was, you didn't have that many kind of hardened top-level players and playing under a young, relatively unproven coach. And I think if you look at their form this season, it is very much befitting of a, a young, quite callow team. They're the streakiest team in the league, Arsenal. They've only drawn three games, which is the, the, the smallest number of draws in the division. They either win or they lose. And as we all recall, they started the season with three defeats. Then they went on a run of wins. Then they lost a few. They win a few, they lose a few, which is what you'd expect from, from a young team that is still sort of finding its way. Um, and you see that also in the way they react to adversity within matches. Um, of the 10 games this season in the league in which they've conceded the first goal, they've gone on to lose nine times. So basically, if things are going well, then great. But as soon as things sort of turn against them, 
the, head, the heads go down a little bit. And, you know, there have been other things this season off the pitch. You think about the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang saga, the injuries of late. I think it's actually quite remarkable that Arsenal are still in the driving seat when it comes to Champions League qualification. I think it would be a real achievement if they were to to still get over the line, particularly when you look at all the players that, that they're doing without at the moment and, you know, Gabriel hobbling off last night as well. And compared to Spurs, who obviously had a very diff- difficult start to the season under Nuno Espirito Santo, but the, the profile of players, Spurs have got two of the best attacking players in world football in Harry Kane and Son Heung-min. They've got a World Cup winning goalkeeper. They, they've sort of strengthened the team with Betan Kerr and, and Kulusevski coming in mid-season from Juventus and slotting straight into the team. So, I mean, I, I think Spurs do have the the momentum now. Um, that they have, they they certainly have the better fixtures. But I, I think I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Arsenal are, are maybe punching slightly above their weight when you look at the makeup of their squad. Mikel Arteta increasingly looked like a clean-shaven prince. I mean, print artist formerly known as. Prince, I, it sounds a bit bizarre as a comparison, but go back and see that post-game interview and very much for me there. Anyway, sorry, uh, are you enjoying a bit of North London beef? Yeah, who isn't? I felt that Antonio Conte's quotes were were loosely reminiscent of the the classics Alex Ferguson, he's just come from Japan, yeah. about Arsene Wenger. This idea <laughs> that Arteta being a young coach can be sort of dismissed out of hand that he's still he's still you know learning his trade and he should you know keep his mouth shut firmly shut but as ever with the North London derby that sort of needle very much welcome long may it continue he was a bit classier with Klopp I'm just saying <laughs> because there was there was a, a bit of a riff there and Conte just t- took it differently but anyway I think that is the genius of the North London derby is that it is just it's built on such hatred, you know. The Arsenal went unbeaten and then didn't win the league again. Spurs haven't won the league since 1961. There's a lot of there's a lot of issues they have to work out on the pitch every time they play. Whereas if you look at Liverpool, Everton, or United City, that's not the biggest game for them. Obviously, Liverpool United is bigger. So it is. I mean, the fact that this fixture was rescheduled so late in the season with such a lot riding on it really did turn last night's game into an absolutely low key classic for me. And, and about Spurs, uh, in terms of progress Spurs has made with Conte, what, what impresses me the most is how they know to deal with these big matches in terms of organization, because they're a very organized team and it, it's not as simple as sitting back. You know, they, they know what to do with or without the ball and, and especially they know to be aggressive and to recognize the moments in the match where they can do this, where can they can be aggressive. They are a smart team today. Apart from the matches against Chelsea, of course, uh, this year, but you, you have uh, City, both uh, both matches against City to prove that. Second match with, with Conte, first match without him. But, and, and matches with Liverpool. Uh, so so de- they developed that. And I know we talk a-, a lot about Kane and Son, and rightly so, because they're having outstanding seasons. Son is fighting for, for the golden boot now, which is impressive without a penalty scored. But Kulusevski, he really encapsulates a lot of qualities we see in Conte's team, like this intensity, he's very vertical, he's efficient, and he's physically strong. So I think he brings different characteristics to to the team and especially to to the the front three. Mm. All right. Well, Tom says that Spurs have the momentum, but Arsenal still have the upper hand. Even with that defeat, they are still a point clear of their neighbours. If they win their remaining two games, 
They'll be fourth and in the Champions League. But will they? They have a trip to Newcastle this weekend, then home to Everton on the final day. Spurs, meanwhile, host Burnley and then go to Norwich. And uh, Gabriel left the field injured on Thursday night for Arsenal. Ben White, who was on the bench, wasn't even brought on. So suggests he's maybe not going to be available this weekend either. What do you think? Well, the supercomputer before the game had it 85% Arsenal to come in the top four and 15% Spurs. And after the the seismic game last night, it's now 61 Arsenal, 39 Spurs. So it still is Arsenal's to lose. But that Newcastle game on, on Monday night, Newcastle's last home game of the season, you know, a cock-a-hoop fan base, nothing to lose. New shirts to parade. It's going to be um, it's going to be a difficult game for uh, for Arsenal. <laughs> These new shirts are they the are they the ones with green and white stripes that I've read about? No, it's just a replica of the Saudi Arabia shirt, white huh. with green trim. Seriously, and that's what they're going to wear on Monday. No, no, no not, that... not, but it's their next. It's their next season's away kit. Oh just my. coincidental. It's it's like whoa. <laughs> I mean, what are the odds? What are the odds that Newcastle are taken over by this entity that has nothing to do with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and then months later they bring out a replica Saudi Arabia kit? I mean, it, it's it is remarkable the the, the coincidence there. Mm. Mm. Well, all right, uh, Natalie. What do you think? Uh, Spurs or Arsenal? I'm still going for Arsenal. Burnley is a tricky match for Spurs. The last one is Norwich, and we expect three points from there. But I don't know. It was trickier because Burnley now it's on—they're they're not on the in the relegation zone. But still, I don't know. I'm still going for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, the, the Burnley—they're only goal difference outside it, so it is still a, a game they need something from. I should point out that while they did win the reverse fixture at Turf Moor, a one-nil, the Clarets, their previous two visits to North London to face Tottenham have seen them lose. Uh, 9-0 across those two matches. Mm. Including the Sun Pushkas winning goal. Oh, there you go. You might do that. Imagine doing that to win the Golden Boot. That'd be decent. I, I feel like this weekend is, is probably the crucial one in terms of top four. You think you look at that Burnley game and with the momentum that Spurs have, part of you thinks, well, they'll, they'll, they'll blitz Burnley, but it's tight turnaround, 12 o'clock kickoff on Sunday. Burnley are obviously scrapping. Um, obviously if Spurs win that it puts them above Arsenal which really puts Arsenal under pressure going to Newcastle who with Duncan says are, you know, are, are in a, a pretty positive dynamic themselves at the moment um, and then you look at the, the last two games I mean Everton could already, could already be safe by the time they go to the Emirates uh, mm. assuming they pick up points in their, their two home games against Brentford and Palace Norwich have got nothing to play for. That feels instinctively, instinctively like the kind of game in which Harry Kane will score, you know, sort of five or six goals, uh, um, in the way you always seem to do in, in these end of season fixtures. So yeah, I, I reckon, I reckon by by bedtime on Monday night, we'll we'll have a we'll have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in terms of the top four. We'll have an even better idea come the final weekend, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably right. probably better actually to draw our, our conclusions. <laughs> That's important to underline that, James. Uh, Nottingham Derby by no means the only important midweek football date. There, there were five other matches. We'll catch up with the other stuff next.
Well, Liverpool will be looking to get their hands on what would be a second domestic trophy when Jurgen Klopp's Reds lock horns with Chelsea at Wembley on Saturday at 4.45. In terms of the betting, Chelsea are 13-5, the draw is 5-2, and Liverpool are the favourites at even money. Jordan Henderson is likely to come in for the injured Fabinho in the Liverpool engine room, and Jurgen Klopp will also be boosted by the likely return of one Mo Salah, Andy Robertson and Thiago, who were all rested in midweek in the 2-1 defeat of Aston Villa. For Chelsea, Kovacic limped out of their midweek blitzing of Leeds, but the incredible Sub Lukaku continues to regain his form with another goal. That's three and two games for him now, and he may just have played his way into the Cup Final 11. He'd love it to be all about him. They've been evenly matched, these two sides, when they've clashed so far this year. The sides shared the spoils in Anfield with a 1-1 draw, and then played out a cracking 2-2 draw in the reverse league fixture at the Bridge when they met in the League Cup Final at Wembley back in February. It was scoreless after 120 minutes of action, and there was about 20 disallowed goals courtesy of VAR in the match. Liverpool went on to win on pens. Jurgen Klopp, interestingly though, has not managed to beat Thomas Tuchel in regular time across their last five meetings. Both Germans have coached at Mainz and Dortmund in the past, similar routes, but with different philosophies. So we could be in for a real tactical treat between these two, but it also means that this one could need extra time on penalties to determine the winner. So if you fancy Chelsea to lift the cup, that's with extra time and penalties included, we'll give you 6-4, to four, whilst Liverpool are odds on at 1-2. to two. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org and remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Tuesday. On a big night for star-studded visiting teams to Birmingham. Many thanks to you if you came along to uh, Totally Football Show Live at the Glee Club. Uh, Liverpool at Villa Park came from behind to earn a vital win at Villa. But 24 hours later, Man City responded with a 5-1 walloping of Wolves. Kevin De Bruyne with a mighty four of those five goals. Liverpool not going to play until uh, Tuesday. They'll have Saints then, because they've got the FA Cup final uh, this weekend. While for Man City, they've got West Ham. A trip to West Ham, uh, after which they'll have a clash at the Etihad with Villa. And win either of those games, and it's done. No, thanks to their frankly ridiculous goal difference. Another four of which they added on with that 5-1 victory Wednesday at Wolves. Again, Natalie, you were there. Yes, everywhere. (laughs) Uh, And I spoke with Kevin De Bruyne after the match. Hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I really like about him, and I think it's fascinating to see how much of uh, he's very down-to-earth and he's always very almost flat in, in, in these big moments. And I think it's very positive for, for, for City to have a, a leader like that. But at the same time, for us journalists, it can be a bit frustrating when you speak to Kevin after a match where he scored four goals and he, he just goes like, yeah, I was just in a better position and I could help my teammates. I was mm. in a better position four times and I, I could help my teammates. And, and then I asked about Holland, of course, the combination and the celebration. He completely ignored the celebration and he said, I'm not even thinking about this. I'm just thinking about the Premier League. Mm. So good for Pep to have such a focused player. Frustrating for us journalists and great for all of us because watching Kevin 
having De Bruyne, honestly, is is a joy. He he's such a special player. Well, you you wait till you do a post game with Erling Haaland next season. Natalie. Oh yes. Oh, tell me <laughs> That's about it. Be fun. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. And yeah, looking at the the form that De Bruyne is in at the moment, I mean, he is very much the man who who seems to be. Uh, you know, carrying City over the line uh, in terms of the title race. And he's already lost out to Mo Salah in the Football Writers Awards. And it's one of those where I think had had the vote, and this is not me criticising the August organisation of which I'm very proud to be a member, but, uh, you know, when it comes to these end-of-season awards, you know, the, the PFA award winner hasn't yet been announced. So much of it comes down to which players are on hot streaks when the votes are cast, because... Clearly, over the first half of the season, Salah was probably in the best form of his entire career. Um, but over the second half of the season, he he has not hit a slump, but he hasn't been in such spectacular form. Whereas of late, De Bruyne has been sensational um, mm. and is is finishing the season much more strongly. And and, and as a consequence, is 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 playing a, a really big role in uh, you know in, in in taking City over the line. Just a quick De Bruyne stat on that game at Wolves. He scored as many league goals in one hour at Molyneux uh, as Lionel Messi has scored all season. <laughs> um, I mean, that is more an indication of what, of what a pretty of what a dreadful season Leo Messi I has been having. But tell you what, Tom, put that on Twitter and see what the Leo Messi fan club make of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they'll have some uh, some options on that. Um, oh, sorry, some opinions. It's, on it's, that. it's good to stir the Leo Messi um, fanboy hornet's nest every now and again, just to feel alive. If you're having a bit of a sleepy Thursday afternoon, just, you know, it's the same, same for the yeah. Ronaldo fanboy nest. Gets you, gets you pecker up, yeah. Um, just a couple more KDB stats. Um, he's now overtaken Damien Duff for most Premier League goals where none of them have been headers. Um, obviously scored a header in the Champions League. Um, he became only the second right-footed player to score a left-footed hat-trick away from home in the Premier League after Harry Kane. Um, he has scored, obviously, four away goals in that game at Wolves, which uh, Man United have scored two away goals in the Premier League since the start of March. So he's doing better than them on that front. So, yeah, it was uh, a pretty dominant display. But on Tom's point about the player of the year, why don't we just have two? Like, why don't we have a player of the first half of the season and a player of the why second Why can't half we the enjoy them both? Yeah, what you're saying. Well, right I just way. think have more awards because football season is is very long. You know, like if you mm. look at other sports, an NFL season is only sort of four months long. So, the, in a sense, you should have a sort of regrouping at Christmas to see who is good, Mo Salah, and then a regrouping in May. Mm. I have a suggestion because uh, the the Argentinian league they have torneo apertura and torneo clausura. You can have the same with the players, like the, the first half, and then you have playoffs between these players. Yeah. I've yes. got an idea. Why don't, because, you know, even four months is a really long time you've injured. Why don't we just do it every month? And we have like a player of the month mm. and one for the managers as well. That's an idea. And that would just settle the whole thing like that. Anyway, De Bruyne, certainly player of the midweek, four <laughs> goals. It's the first hat trick he'd had since 2011. So... Hmm. City, meanwhile, crikey, here's a number. They became the first team in English top flight history to win five consecutive league games by a margin of at least three goals. Yikes. Their goal difference is now 72. Yes. As you were debating on Twitter, Duncan. Oh, not debating, but... Well, yeah, just, just chatting online on the microblogging site. But um, 
Yeah, I did a thing at the start of the week after the weekend's games, which hmm. looked at the biggest city goal difference gaps over United, and it has never been above uh, plus 69 before, so we are... And it's currently Uni- 71. 71, because United are on, on one. Obviously, if United lose by two goals at Palace on the final day, that would be the first time they end with a negative goal difference since 1989-90. So, yeah, these are very polarised times in, the, uh, in Manchester. Wow. And City did not have important players in defence. Pep was very worried about that during the whole match. He was screaming at the touchline all the time. He was talking to Laporte, especially. Uh, and Rodri would, would form a line of three defenders, especially when Cancelo was on the second half of the pitch, when he was more of a, an attacking position. And I think in the same way City found ways to score loads of goals without a striker, they, they find ways to defend without important defenders as well. So that, that's, that's one of many examples of uh, City's collective game. Total football. All right, well, is the title race over? Is there any chance that perhaps this weekend, for example, West Ham, who have stopped Man City in their tracks on their last two visits to the London Stadium, could spring another surprise? It was that penalty shootout in the League Cup, a goalless draw in the league, and this is Mark Noble's last ever home game. So just think of the atmosphere that awaits Pep's side as they step into the cauldron of the London Stadium. What do you think? No Amrik Laporte, probably. Here's what I think is going to happen. West Ham will pull off a win. Pep yep. will come into the interview after the game and say, look, Liverpool's still got to go to Southampton and get something. But Southampton haven't lost 9-0 yet this season. Would that help Liverpool in the goal difference states? Yeah, I think it would. So then Liverpool go and win 9-0 to go above City on goal difference on Would on that Tuesday. be enough? Would nine goals take them above? It's seven at the moment, so City would go down to at least six. So, yeah, it would be enough. Um, and then it's uh, Liverpool's to lose on the final day in a, sh- in a straight shootout. OK, I'll buy Not that. Not in Middlesbrough. Natalie? I-, I couldn't say it better, honestly. <laughs> I don't have a better theory than that. So, yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with it. We're all, we're all in agreement. I, th- I think we'll definitely have a better idea come this time next week anyway. Uh, the other City news, though, as you reference, Erling Haaland is confirmed now. The team that is set to be Premier League top scorers for the fifth straight season signed the player who is probably set to be the dominant goal scorer of the next decade. Uh, Tom, you mentioned the crazy numbers that he's been posting and, and we've almost almost become used to them, but they are just mad. Uh, Daniel Story with an interesting take, though, on this in the eye. Uh, harking back to when... Pep, who had that Barcelona team that, in a similar fashion to this city, had Samuel Eto'o and Messi and Henri shifting around, switching positions, denying points of reference and that. And then he went and bought uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Similar figure, could you say, for a similar relatively fee? And it didn't work out at all. I mean, Ibra did score, I think, 16 league goals that season, but it wasn't a success. And come the end of the season, he moved on. I mean, it's a comparable situation. Holland and, and Ibrahimovic are, are different characters, but they're they're both big physical players um, who aren't particularly renowned for the quality of their build-up play. Obviously, Holland has a, a phenomenal range of, of attributes, um, but he's not someone who you necessarily see taking part in in slick passing triangles. Um, and yeah, the fact that the fact that things didn't work out. Um, 
for uh, Ibrahimovic uh, under Guardiola at Barcelona. The fact that that Guardiola took time to, to really figure out how to get the best out of Sergio Aguero, that he's ended up using Gabriel Jesus as a, as a right-sided forward rather, rather than a striker. He, he, he doesn't always know how to get the best out of, out of classic centre-forwards, Pep. And, and I think that the, the point that he's making is that when you add a player like Holland with his profile to a collective like City's that is so sophisticated and so finely tuned, it's not just an addition. You don't just add Holland to everything that City already have. You subtract you subtract something as well. Um and, and some of that understanding, you know, some of the the, the miracle of, of City's football is 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 that Lack of a, a, a fixed focal point in, in the centre of the attack is the kind of understanding, the, the intuitive understanding between the players. And it will take Hall and time to get to grips with that. And, and as a consequence, that the collective might not be quite as slick as it is now. So, I mean, clearly on paper, it makes City an even more terrifying mm. team than they were previously. But it, it's not an absolute given. And we saw that last season with, well, we've seen it this season with, with Romelu Lukaku. Everyone said the only thing Chelsea needed was a centre forward. And they went out and they signed the top scorer in Serie A, and a guy who knew the Premier League like the back of his hand. And we all confidently expected that he'd rack up 30, 35 goals and, and blitz Chelsea to the title. And it hasn't happened. I suspect Holland will be a success because he's such an incredible footballer. And I cannot wait to see him playing in the Premier League, but it's not a given. On the other hand, I think the main difference is that uh, between Lukaku and Ibrahimovic and Haaland is that Haaland is not the finished product. Hmm. Haaland hasn't peaked. And and we've seen the, uh, Ibrahimovic peak and, and Lukaku as well. And, and from what we hear about Haaland... Uh, he seems to be the type of player who really likes that the daily basis. He's very hardworking. We we hear that he's always like the last one to leave the pitch, and and he's young. I think he 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 may not have these uh, characteristics of a, a Guardiola player in terms of positioning and uh, blah blah blah. But but like. In the way that he can be developed, I mm. think he's a very Guardiola player because he's this hardworking guy and he's so young and he he's not the finished product. So I think he he will he will be a success under under Guardiola. Look forward to Pep turning him into a left back, kind of a couple of months into. Good centre half. Holland knows the club. He he grew up watching Kevin Horlock and Paolo Wontrop play for City, so you know that will help as well. I think. Mm. All right. That's the future for City. Uh, the more immediate prospects are a trip to West Ham this weekend. Liverpool, as I mentioned, away at Saints on Tuesday. Before that, though, they've got a cup final to worry about. With both the men's and ladies' finals taking place, it's going to be a bumper weekend for FA Cup cliches. The magic of the cup. Form goes out the window. Here at Paddy Power, we can't prevent the cliches. No easy games. Ricky Veer, KG first 15 minutes. But we can provide giant killing offers, like money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet by the bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. FA Cup final, everybody, this Saturday, 4.45. First FA Cup final in front of a capacity crowd since 2019. Natalie, I mean, I presume you're going to this as well, are you? Yes, of course, and Incredible. I will be at West Ham Man City as well. What? How many yeah. of them are you? No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Liverpool fans, they, they are probably very worried. Uh, of they, they could multiply Fabinho for sure mm. because uh, his injury is, is a concern. When last season, when they had Fabinho in, in defense, that the midfield really missed him. And this season, this midfield formation with Fabinho, Thiago, and either Keita or Henderson has been absolutely brilliant. And and Fabinho is very, uh, he has very very specific characteristics that are really hard to to find in the Liverpool squad. So it is a big miss, and I'm I'm sure Liverpool fans will will be worried about that as well. Uh, Liverpool, who haven't won the FA Cup, since the Gerrard final, all the way back in the midst of 2006. They are on a 15-game unbeaten run in all tournaments. There is still a chance of a quadruple, but a very real chance of a treble coming off a victory away, as I mentioned, at Villa on Tuesday night. Duncan and I were uh, doing our show while that was happening. Tom, did you watch Villa-Liverpool? Yes, I did, and I thought... I thought Liverpool reacted very well to falling behind in the third minute and equalised within within three minutes. And it wasn't it wasn't a, a vintage Liverpool display. They rested a couple of players. Mo Salah was on the bench again. Andy Robertson sat it out as well. And I think it really kind of it, it brought home the the importance again of, of Luis Diaz, um, who who set up the goal for Mane, and you know as we all know has, has slotted into this team. You know beautifully, um, and and the the winning goal was lovely. Um, you know Diaz picking the ball up out on the left and putting in a, a slightly earlier cross than than I think anyone was expecting to you know to try and catch Villa uh, catch Villa out and and as it, and perhaps because he didn't take more time to shape the cross, it ended up being uh, ended up arriving at, at Mane at a slightly awkward height and slightly behind him, um, and he scored this really clever glancing header sort of. You know, almost with his back to goal, um, and yeah, I think when you saw the way that Villa started the game and, and then taking the lead the way they did, it, it did feel, particularly in the context of Liverpool having dropped points against uh, against Spurs in their previous game, that this could well be the game that ends up putting the final nail in their in their title hopes. But they, you know, but they hit back and um, uh, you know uh, and and got and got a, a hard fought win. Um, to, to stay in the fight but yeah really looking forward to the cup final I mean you think back to the uh, the previous encounters between Chelsea and Liverpool this season all draws but really entertaining I mean the 2-2 draw at Stamford Bridge the first half in particular uh, was up there with the best 45 minutes of football I think we've seen all season and then the Carabao Cup final one of the best nil-nils I've ever seen I mean ridiculous sort of Rocky-esque 
slugfest. I rewatched the highlights yesterday. Chelsea had three goals ruled out by by VAR. You had players hitting the post. You had that remarkable penalty shootout, uh, and then and then Kepa settling it with that missed penalty for the ages. Uh, so if if you're basing it purely on on the the previous encounters between between the two teams this season, uh, you know we should be in for a treat. And I think it's been a feature of of games against those three teams this season is they've generally gone for it. I think it's the same mm. for Liverpool and Man City. We've seen lots of quite open, quite high scoring quite high scoring games and uh, I get the sense that because these teams are so good and and, and because their managers take such care to guard against the counter-attack that they back themselves to to go out and beat teams and it means that I mean it'll now be an absolute stinker and it'll be you know one of the worst games of the season as as FA Cup finals often are but recent Mm. encounters between between these two teams and between Man City have have generally been ones to savour. You wonder what fictional podcasts of the 1990s would have been saying before the Liverpool Man United 1996 final saying look two of the two of the biggest clubs you know had some recent entertaining games and then yeah not not a good final but I don't think that will be the case in this one it has they as you say Tom they've been I mean it kind of making up for the 2000s right when George Vardano had his issues with these teams playing 30 Mm. times a season so um yeah I mean what you want is a is a classic FA Cup final. And I think if you think back a year, the Leicester beating Chelsea, which was a very good game, some great goals, but the excitement from that was seeing the fans, some fans, back in the stadium. And right. and I think that was when a lot of people, myself included, kind of realised how, just how odd it had been with no fans for so long. And, and it was a real sort of, uh, you know, a release of emotion. And I think, I think generally, f- um, crowds at football have, since then have been really a lot more positive and the atmospheres have been a lot more better we've seen it you know at various games including at, at Spurs Arsenal in, in midweek so abroad as well yeah the difference has been remarkable I mean often the criticism of the F- FA Cup final is that the fans of the two clubs don't get as many tickets because you know the football family get you know a Cub Scout team from West Bromwich get eight tickets or whatever how it's divvied up I'm not sure but I'm pretty sure that the atmosphere will still be pretty good in do they get first dibs that's that's <laughs> hey, that's what's killing football James not 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 big not big business Cubs not scouting. not your oligarchs <laughs> not Saudi it's money Cubs it's the scouts, scouts from with West their, Bromwich with their get them out of the game get them out <laughs> now Chelsea this is their fifth FA Cup final in the last six years they've lost three of the previous four you mentioned the Leicester defeat Arsenal, of course, before that. They warm up for this one with only their second win in the last six matches in all competitions at uh, victory at Ellen Road with Lukaku adding to his recent tally. Do you see him starting? Maybe. Maybe they can they can use this momentum. And, and talking about momentum and circumstances, I, I wonder how the circumstances will play a part for both teams. Because uh, as Tom mentioned, the, that spectacular 45 minutes uh, of Chelsea-Liverpool was early January, was uh, 2nd of January. Chelsea was 2nd, Liverpool was 3rd. and so But it was still early, early January. And with the Carabao Cup final, it was the first final of the season. Now we're all the way down to the season. Uh, Chelsea is not playing for anything anymore, uh, in theory. So this is their only hope of, of, of a title. There's all this talk uh, with Liverpool and the quadruple. And, and it is the, 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 the trophy that's missing for, for Jurgen Klopp um, as a Liverpool manager. So there's an element. And, and you have Liverpool still 
possibly winning the league. Uh, there are a lot of elements that can play a part. And I hope that doesn't take that, that risk, that edge. And I don't think it's going to take that risk or that edge. But, but I, I wonder how they will play a part in the way the teams are going to, 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 to see and to, to make their strategies uh, around the match. Mm, well, either Jurgen Klopp or Thomas Tuchel will become the first German manager to win the FA Cup. Although Bert Troutman in 56, I mean, in terms of German moral victory, well, actual victory. <laughs> mm. uh, it could be a double for Chelsea this weekend. Uh, were they to win that and their uh, women's football team defeat Man City in their FA Cup final, which is the very next day at 2.30? OK, uh, more from the weekend to come next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet, £10. Excludes enhanced match shots. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Totally Football League Show is out already, actually, because we're late. Matt Davis Adams at the helm discussing championship playoffs, which begin Friday night. Luton hosting Huddersfield. Sheffield United Saturday afternoon will be facing that Nottingham Forest. Celtic are now officially champions of Scotland again after their 1-1 draw at Dundee United on Wednesday. Their 52nd Scottish League title. Ajax have retained the Eredivisie title with a game to spare after thrashing here and then 5-0. Good way for Eric Ten Hag to bow out. Did we see... Van der Sar's speech to him on the pitch where he what called he him say? a very weird he said um, when I first met you I thought you were a very weird man but then then went on to praise his many achievements so um, you know the Dutch <laughs> don't hold it back yeah <laughs> your job now is to get behind your new manager who is Steve McLaren's former assistant at FC20 just as indeed Eric Ten Hag was in his day and another another bald man with, and another um, ball back. with some, the last four Ajax coaches, I think, have all looked almost identical. So give it another few years, James, and we might get might get the nod <laughs> ourselves. Do you think they have their scouting system based on a game of guess who? I wonder, are they going to suddenly notice a glitch in their managerial uh, scouting database that someone has toggled <laughs> the bald only uh, right. <laughs> drop down menu 10 years ago when they were setting it up and, and no one noticed are they actually different people Tom can we be sure because you know bald men with facial hair they all look the same I, they do indeed I've never seen them in the same room so mm. 
Sean Dyche and uh, Inspector Montalban are both ahead of us in the uh, uh, the, uh, the shopping list that I would venture. Also, midweek, a bit of a thriller in the Coppa Italia final at the Stadio Olimpico. Inter coming from behind to win 4-2 over Juventus, who must be absolutely sick of the Nerazzurri by this point. They've taken their league title, they've taken the Super Cup, now they've taken their Coppa Italia crown as well. And also important from the continental uh, football world midweek, the news of Leon firing a player because he broke wind in the dressing room. Tom? Uh, yeah, so this is Marcelo, uh, 34-year-old Brazilian centre-back, um, who had a bit of a stormy uh, time Curry. at Lyon. Uh, I mean, by the sounds of it, yes. Um, and he was sort of, he he had various disputes with the fans and he was in and out of the team. And at the start of this season, he was back in the team and he'd put all that behind him. And then abruptly, out of nowhere, in August, Leon lost 3-0 against Angers. And then he was basically just dropped from the squad, frozen out, never played for the first team again. And in January, he went to Bordeaux. Um, and in L'Equipe yesterday, they did a kind of, retrospective on the team season and Leon have had a, a pretty disappointing season by their standards under Peter Boz, another bald former Ajax coach. Uh, and it transpired that the the reason that Marcelo was booted out of the squad was because they were having a kind of very serious post-match uh, debrief after this defeat against Angers uh, and he farted uh, and some of his teammates had heard it and they were laughing about it. Um, the, the kind of thing that gets you sent out of class when you're, you know, 11 years old uh, or, or something. Um, and that was the um, that was the, the straw mm. that, that broke the camel's back. In terms He's of delighted his, uh, his arse trumpeting proved, as his, you say, too much for the manager. Off he, went, off he went for, for a trip to Bordeaux, who've now, well, are about to go down for the first time in decades and decades. Yeah, they're on the brink, uh, mm. and it's it's a bit of an earthquake in French football. I mean, it's you know it's 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 Everton, it's Manchester City, Aston Villa. I mean, it's you know Bordeaux are a really big historic French club, and and this is a consequence of a failed American takeover and then a failed rescue attempt by Gerard Lopez, the former Lille owner. Um, they have got no money to spend. Uh, the players that were assigned to sort of take them to the next level, like Laurent Koscielny, have kind of been frozen out of the team. Uh, it's been a complete bin fire, and they are they're clinging on by their their fingernails. But it looks like they're about to go down. Wow! So people say it's a farmers' league, but they're one continent out. Is that what you're saying? I would never make such a slur against the French top flight, Duncan. As well, you know. Mm. In the Premier League, everybody. Leicester beat Norwich midweek. Two goals for Jamie Vardy and an otherwise quiet week for that family. Uh, Watford faced Everton. That was the worst home team in the Premier League against the worst away team in the Premier League. How did it finish, Duncan? Nil-nil. <laughs> uh, right. Ooh, Watford have got a new manager ahead of their game uh, this weekend. It is... Uh, let's find... Oh, yeah. Rob Edwards, who's just won the League 2 title with Forest Green Rovers, who are not particularly happy at the way that... The Hornets have marched in and whipped him away. Natalie. Yeah. Can, can we just take a moment for the most resented statement that we've read in a mm. very long time that ends with, we thank Rob for all his work at FGR, forgive him the manners of his departure and wish him well. Like, who really believed that? <laughs> yeah. 
not very vegan. And from Forest either. Green Rovers. Well, exactly. The nicest, you know, most vegan football club in the world. So it must really take something to annoy them, you'd have Generating thought. beef. It goes against everything they believe in. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. Rob Edwards currently as popular as uh, Marcelo in a, in a, in a lift. Uh, Watford, anyway, are now down, along with Norwich. Leeds are in the hot seat to join them. Burnley are above Leeds on goal difference, safe for now. Everton are three points clear. And both Everton and Burnley have a game in hand on Leeds. So this weekend, Everton are going to be hosting Brentford. Burnley, as we mentioned before, are at Spurs. Leeds get a visit from Brighton. Everton, are they safe now? Just one defeat in the last six. Not yet, but they've got they've got two quite winnable home games uh, in the next week uh, against, albeit an informed Brentford team and, and a Palace team who are going quite well as well. But I I would have thought if they win at least one of those, uh, certainly four points, that'll take them up to forty points, and and that that would probably be enough, I think. Everton Brentford is the Frank Derby, of course. Frank Lampard against Thomas. Frank. Frank Lampard's first game in charge of Everton was against Brentford. That was a good assent. It was in the FA Cup fourth round in February. How did it finish? 4-1 to the Toffees. Hmm. Natalie? I ran into Richarlison at Euston Station <laughs> when I was, yes, when I was uh, coming back from, Wol- uh, from Wolverhampton and he was just waiting for his train to, uh, back to Liverpool. And he he seemed very confident that Everton is is gonna is gonna stay that they'll be fine. He was actually more frustrated of how dull the match against Watford was hmm. than 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 uh, about Everton's chances. But but yeah, but Leeds is a, a different level of worry. I think we all got to the point of the, of like this season. We all got to that point where we thought, oh no, Leeds will be fine. Leeds will be safe. And and now they're in this situation, and you see Jesse Marsh, the, his his expression on the on on the pitch side, and and the number of cards is is just 100 cards for Leeds, uh, 90, 97 yellows, I think, and three reds. That's a worrying stat. From we know all about Leeds' intensity, but apparently the, the intensity and the circumstances are not a very good combination f- for them. Duncan, you've been across the Leeds, the Leeds yeah, car I mean, tally. The car tally has been marching inexorably up and will probably not stop in the last couple of games. Um, obviously, Jesse Marsh did ha- did have a reasonable run a few weeks ago, but I think what he's tried to do is make them better defensively. Although Rafinha at wing back is not didn't go down too well with Leeds fans, but what he's actually done, I think, is really kind of neutered their attack. So they're they're having about ten shots a game under him, down from fourteen under Bielsa. And I think the the feeling amongst a lot of Leeds fans is that he might as well have just stuck with Bielsa at this rate. Um, you know, their last game under Bielsa, they they lost heavily to Spurs, but they did still create a lot of chances. And I think that yeah, it's now looking pretty pretty gloomy for them. And it, it's a shame, you know. I mean, I think. Five of the ten teams who have gone down in their second season in the Premier League have been from Yorkshire, so it is a kind of uh, regional affliction. Mm. Um, I think of the only thing, and this won't help Leeds fans at all, but I think if Burnley or Everton had gone down, then it really is kind of financial meltdown for those clubs, whereas I think Leeds can, can probably bounce back. But um, yeah, it is looking pretty tough now. 
Yeah, and just the, the last two games have been so similar, Leeds. Away at Arsenal and at home to Chelsea, two difficult opponents. Obviously, you've got to be, you've got to be up for it, um, but you also need, need cool heads. And in both of those games, they've conceded early goals. Uh, conceded after four minutes against Arsenal, after Ilan Melier dropped that clanger and Eddie Nketiah scored. And then after four minutes... Um, against Chelsea midweek and then the totally avoidable early red cards Luke Ayling flying in studs up on was it Martinelli I think at the Emirates and, mm-hmm. then, and then Dan James going in on Kovacic uh, and I am sort of hashtag biased when it comes to Dan James because he is Welsh and has done great things for Wales over the last couple of years but it was a really really appalling challenge um, and yet at the same time we know that that Jesse March has been trying to inspire his players with coaches from notably peace-loving historical figures, your Mahatma Gandhis, um, your your Muhammad Ali's, your your Mother Teresa's, and I wonder whether... That's Lombardi as well. Is Muhammad Ali peaceful, given his job was punching people in the face? Not sure. Well, he did refuse the draft for the Vietnam War, which had generally felt to be, you know, a a, a pacifist Mm. stance. But I wonder, I mean, we know that small doses of quotes from these figures in isolation can be useful but is is maybe is combining them the problem is it like when you combine two apparently benign elements in a chemical in a chemical experiment mm. and they suddenly explode is that what has what has caused leads to start kicking lumps out of all their opponents um, because it has been quite it has been quite noticeable the last leads kicking lumps out of their opponents has been around possibly even I mean, longer it's, than quotes it from is, it is faithful to the brand um, mm. and if if Jesse March does take Leeds down with a record uh, card tally, um, having had men sent off for potential leg breakers in each of their final games, in a way you could say he's done to, to he's done more to restore Leeds to historically what they are mm. um, than, than Bielsa did in you know the, the three four years he was there. Well, after the defeat to Chelsea, which means that effectively Southampton are safe, unless they were to lose their last two games nine nil or something like that. Uh, Leeds will next be uh, hosting Brighton. The, the Seagulls will be running the gauntlet of the Ellen Road tackles. That's Sunday at 2 o'clock. Brighton, who are set to record their best ever top division finish. What do you think, Natalie? Leeds against Brighton, Burnley against Spurs. They're level on points as it stands. Well, Brighton has been quite a, a difficult team to, to predict. Their form has been very unstable. But I, I don't know, it can be tricky for Leeds. I was thinking about the circumstances uh, around this, this Leeds form. And uh, we talk a lot about their physicality and, and uh, if they're physically worn out or not. But I don't know if that can have a, a link with, with the amount of cards because when players are tired, they, 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 they tend to, to, to do more falls. But I don't have their 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 physical reports to to, to prove mm. that, but it's just it's just a possibility. And with with Spurs and Burnley, uh, I don't know because Spurs they have a lot to play for, so it's a very tough one for for Burnley. I think it's still very open uh, in terms of how safe Burnley is really is, but but we also have to consider that in in the past years Burnley have been in this area of the table so maybe they can deal with it with the pressure around it better of course they they changed managers and i think this season is a bit different and i don't think they they 
always manage to get to to the final rounds uh, with such a with such a high risk of of relegation. But it's it's very hard to predict. It is. It is. I mean, high risk certainly sounds like this weekend's game facing Sun Kane Kulisovsky et al. With half their defence out, James Tarkovsky now out of the picture alongside uh, Ben Mee. Hmm. All right. Well, Everton will secure safety this weekend if they win and Leeds don't in that clash with Brighton. Of course, on Monday, we'll be here to round up all that sort of stuff. Uh, also, we can talk about Wolves Norwich, which will be happening, and Watford Leicester. See how many goals Jamie Vardy can rack up in that one, eh, Duncan? Wow. I didn't foresee a court case, you know, midway through the season. So, What did and, you foresee? Um, well, I people are saying I said that he wouldn't score more than 10 goals, but I tried to look, but I dropped my phone in the North Sea, so it can't <laughs> be recovered. So, um, there we go. Yeah, It's what, over an hour into the podcast, we finally get off. Who had over an hour into the podcast for uh, <laughs> the Vardy court case reference? Oof, not me. Mm. Anywho, all right, uh, there'll be that. Other games this weekend include Watford, Leicester and Villa Crystal Palace. Excellent. Natalie, you're going to the big one at Wembley. Tom and Duncan, what are your plans for the weekend? No plans. No plans to watch the cup final. Looking watch forward to that. It's a sh- yeah. I mean, not not to sound too old man shouting at clouds, but it's a shame that the build-up doesn't start at like... 7.30 anymore. Is it? Because I... It, a, it didn't probably... ever start at 7.30. Well, B, I mean, I know it didn't, but... This is an absolute Duncan, there are entire Twitter accounts... Twitter entire Twitter accounts <laughs> yeah. based around the, the lie... False memories. cup final footage used to last for 12 hours. Surely, by now, you can kind of build your own mm. FA Cup Saturday by uh, setting resetting your clocks and a couple of hours forward so that it kicks off at the right time and then kind of programming for yourself via YouTube or any other... Similar. But that's the thing. The, the mm. content is so spread out now, but the people that kind of Make a probably over, overly eulogise the 1970s, 80s build-up to cup final, they haven't discovered YouTube yet. So when right. they do, they're going to be really happy. It has Oof. changed, though. Has either side recorded an FA Cup song? No. Mm. That is the one shame of modern football that F- uh, FA Cup final songs aren't recorded anymore because they were... I mean, you know, w- wack- wackiness in general has just has gone out of the game, hasn't it? I think apart from Bayern Munich players donning their lederhosen for Oktoberfest, and I guess they probably wouldn't even consider that as wacky given that it is you know, very much the, the regional attire, but the, the kind of, yeah, the, the innocent wackiness of the FA Cup final song is, is, is not something we, we see too much of these days. It's a shame. Are there favourites in terms of songs? For the do, FA do, Cup do you, songs? Yes, yes, yes. Spurs are on their way to Wembley. People are going to say I'm a Spurs fan. I'm not. There was the status quo, Man United, come on you Reds, wasn't there? Which which reached number one in the actual wow. charts. And I made a discovery just the other day that it is... So they recorded that with status quo, hmm. uh, Man United. And it's basically, it, it's an existing status quo song called Burning Bridges just with a new set of lyrics and I, I didn't know that I, I found that I found that out the other day and it blew my mind interestingly um, years on Manchester United are still involved in a kind of terrible record with status quo continuing paradigm very, very much so <laughs> hot stuff Arsenal that was good
They had hot stuff in 1998, shouting for the Gunners in 1993, and good old Arsenal in 1971. So, I'd say hot stuff's the best of the three. Okay. Producer Charlie nodding. I think he's a connoisseur of both music and Arsenal. So, there it is. There it is. Well, we'll be seeing who has the big score, etc. Laying down a big beat, and that when we return on uh, Monday. Not long from now, eh? Many thanks. Uh, apologies for the delay, uh, but many thanks for being with us, uh, dear listener. And many thanks as well to Tom, Duncan, Natalie, and producer Charlie. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Look forward to speaking to you on Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.